Butterfly Being, I Am Who I Am. Chapter 2, A Daughter's Call in the Aftermath. From the bowels of nothingness, I heard it, a voice, soft and sweet, drawing me back from nowhere. I heard it in the darkness. It literally pulled me both in and out of myself. I don't know how long I was there in the void, the nothing. I don't remember anything other than slipping away and being pulled back. The voice I heard was my daughter. She was three years old at the time. I don't remember seeing him when I finally opened my eyes. Only her at a distance. She stood at the threshold of my office door, so little, so big, calling me back from darkness. As I gained a sense of being again, I lifted myself off the floor and went to her. I picked her up and held her. Then I heard him. He was upstairs in the kitchen. How she managed to get to me was baffling. He'd punched a hole in the bathroom door and was tossing kitchen chairs down the stairs while shouting at no one in particular. With my little lady in my arms, I went into the family room, which adjoins my office, and sat on the couch with her on my lap. I sat at the furthest point in the room, close to the garage door exit from the house. I listened to his rants as he took numerous trips up and down the stairs, his acclamations that the kids would not miss me, that they would understand why he did what he did. In other words, he was not done. The sun had not risen. His promise was that I would not see it rise. But surely, the presence of our youngest child changed that plan, not according to his ranting. Action. I needed to act, but what to do? I remembered the phone falling in the first round of battle. It fell on the left side of my desk. I needed to get to that phone. When he headed back up the stairs, I shifted my baby off my lap and quietly ran to my office, dropped to the floor and searched, but could not find it. Not wanting him to catch me, I aborted the mission and ran back to my spot on the couch, swiftly putting Lauren back on my lap so it did not look like I had moved. He came back down, ranted some more, and headed back up. That was my cue to repeat the process. This time, there was success. I grabbed the phone and hightailed it back to my spot, putting the phone under the cushion next to me. When I perceived enough space between us, based on where in the house his voice projected, I dialed 911. I think I said something along the lines of, my significant other is trying to kill me. I had very little time before I heard him coming back. With the line still connected, I placed it by my side. I remember him mentioning that no one was coming to help me. 
almost a challenge, but it was done. By the time I got back on the line, they had the house surrounded. They heard him, even saw him pacing and raging out. They wanted me to leave the house, asked me if I had access to an exit. I told them I did, but refused to use it. My son was still upstairs in his room, sleeping, so I thought. The agony of his having been awake and hearing all of this play out would surface years later. That may have been more heartbreaking than my own experience. Either way, I was not leaving without him. Yes, I was close enough to the garage door to get out with my daughter, but I would never leave my son. My surviving meant nothing if something were to happen to my children. And then, almost miraculously, I looked up and there he was. My son was coming towards me. I can't explain why in that moment he chose to descend two flights of stairs and come to me, but it was divine right time. He came directly to me and sat next to us. With tears in my eyes, I picked up the phone and said, my son's here, I'm coming out. I grabbed the two of them, opened the door and exited. I reported to the dispatcher that I was in the garage. I felt like the weight of the world was on me. So much fear that even this close, he'd stop us. I remember a sense of panic kicking in as the euphoria of getting out of the house and into the garage wore off. As they watched his movement on the upper level and heard the report that I was in a garage, they banged on the front door of my house and opened the garage door simultaneously. I heard him yell in a nasty response, who is it? The garage door swung open and I was safe in the care of the Windsor Police Department. A tsunami had touched down in the state of my being. It claimed all that there was to claim. As it receded, the damage was done. Everything was changed. The landscape of being felt foreign. It had come with no warning. Sure, the temperature was unsettled, but a storm of such magnitude was certainly unpredicted. It both killed and birthed perceptions and fears that I had never known. You know, one of the most telling moments in the days that followed was his visit to the house to acquire some of his belongings. After being bailed out of jail by his family, he was granted a single visit to the house to collect his things. His father, who remains dear to me, escorted him. I had collected all his items, so he had no reason to come into the house. My family was present in a strong show of force. It was actually that day, ahead of his arrival, 
that my sisters told me with much reservation that they had discovered that the best friend who had killed his girlfriend and then himself had done so five years ago to the night of my chillingly familiar event. Their curiosity had them Google the event I referred to and my recollection of the night's details. They were floored at finding this fact. We were convinced there was much more planning in the event than I had at the time fully realized. They were rattled and angry and holding the realization of this news, not letting him anywhere near me. I was in disbelief. I recognized that his life was as immediately changed as mine. I was nearly murdered at the hands of this man, but the same compassion I always felt looking into his eyes was there. The tightness that gripped my heart when he whispered silently, I'm sorry? From the end of the driveway with the shield of multiple cars and my sisters between us and his dad urging him to move swiftly was the last act to break my heart. The confusion was devastating. I felt like I was drowning on dry land. The whole of everything threatened to swallow me whole. My family had shown up in droves. I first called mommy as the police secured the house. He was outside sitting on the stairs being held in the company of a mighty police presence. I still remember the eeriness of so many emergency vehicles outside my house as far as I could see while sitting at the kitchen table. There were so many flashing lights, but no sounds. I recognized that the call I was making was the middle of the night call that I know so well, the one that strikes fear in your heart before you ever pick up the phone. Roz, what's wrong, she said, the terror evident in her voice. She knew. It felt like an echo of a ghost, the words that came out of my mouth. He tried to kill me. Her screams met my tears and the phone went dead. I knew she was on her way. One cop sat at the table with me as I made the call to my mom, trying to assure her that in spite of the reason for the call, I was all right. I was not all right. I was in shock, unable to feel anything. The physical abuse my body undertook silent for the moment. I felt nothing. I thought nothing. I spoke the truths of what happened as the officers both conducted their investigations and cared for my two little ones, ages three and five at the time. They were great and I am so thankful for the lady cop who applied such grace in looking after my little ones. I did not even have it in me to worry about them in that moment. 
I had nothing. Who would have thought that the void of feeling in that moment would look like such a pleasant friend following the characters who would show up soon? Following my call to mom, I had to make one more call. My sister Sarissa was accompanying me on the journey to the conference. Indy is one of my favorite cities to visit. There's so much to do, see, and experience. I got to see Justin Timberlake in concert in a private box at Miller Stadium, taking some of the most prestigious landmarks, attending galas for work, stayed at the poshest hotels, and ate at some world-renowned establishments. They were the perks of serving as project director for Fortune 50 company as a new software vendor completely stretched a product vision into a shiny reality. It was exciting, and this would be the first time someone I loved got to experience the city with me. We were their number one client, and I felt all the perks of such. While she would not attend the conference with me, I was totally looking forward to spending my downtime with her. I loved her dearly and was pleased to have a partner in crime on my trip to spend my evenings with. I knew she would attend evening events with me, unlike my he when he and the kids joined me on a business trip in Colorado. That was painful. She has a lot of personality and I had no reserve about her filling the days with adventures of her own or sleep until I became available. I knew she would hit the town with me, be a great event guest, and locate places off the beaten path that I had not experienced. In retrospect, I think he knew it too, and it was not pleasing to him. But now, there was no trip to accompany me on. She needed to know. The police understood my need to make another call. She too knew something was wrong upon picking up the phone. I recall her telling me even as she packed, she had an eerie feeling that the trip would not happen. I do not remember that conversation, only that the panic in my chest started to bubble and the tears in my being started to fall. All I was capable of focusing on was getting through this moment. It is when the autopilot of my being showed up in full force, focusing on the automation of step-by-step process execution. My thoughts went something like this. One leg in front of the other. Oblige the police. Am I hurt? No, I feel nothing. Decline medical assistance. Check on the babies. Are the babies okay? The female police officer seems nice. Babies are laughing and playing with her. Kids are okay. So many cop cars and emergency vehicles outside. So many blaring lights and the darkness of night. Is the whole police force here? Thank God my daughter came down. Thank God my son came down. It was like divine intervention. I had just told the 911 dispatcher who I was secretly talking with that I could not 
I would not leave without my son. And as I spoke those words, I looked up to see my son coming down the stairs. I don't think Big He even noticed my son walking past. He was in such a rage. I would never have followed the officer's orders to take the exit to my left, enter the garage, or accept their promise that they would meet me on the other side if I had not had my children at my side. Thank God his loud rants woke them. He promised me that they would be all right and that they would know what I did. What I did. Oh my God, he is sick, like fully delusional. Did that just happen? Is this real? Am I dreaming? God, I hope this is a bad dream. And then it was eerily silent. The moments after the police left and I realized the sun was up, I took stock of my physical realities of the moment. My suitcase was missing. The shoes that lay on the floor were on top of my suitcase. A last minute ad, an item I would certainly need in travel. They were cute yet sensible flats, a feet saver in airports and on heavy walking days. But I knew I placed them on the suitcase in the middle of the living room. So I did not forget to put them in before I exited. Why are the shoes there and not the suitcase? I walked through the house, trying to locate it, disregarding the holes in the wall and doors from his angry strike. The missing chairs in the kitchen, now relocated on the lower level thrown in rage. The projectile thrown at my head just because his attempt to hush me with the strength of his mighty hands tightly wrapped around my neck had not gone according to plan. This stubborn bitch would not die without a fight. Had he thought it would be easy that I was that small? I finally located my suitcase in the oddest of places. It was in my bedroom, behind the bedroom door. Odd, I thought. I did not even see him come upstairs before I went downstairs. I had been so busy rearranging my kids' closets and hanging clean clothes that I was shielded from him and he from me. Or had he done it before? But when? He had mentioned thinking I was asleep. Did he actually go into the bedroom, assuming I was in the bed? Had I foiled other plans? No, that was ludicrous. A crime of passion, not planned. But maybe planned. The thought was too heavy to digest. I spit it out and went on to the many other worries that were more pressing. Like what the fuck do I do now? I continued taking inventory of the physical damage to me and the house while seeing and not seeing the signs of my brokenness 
unfolding. Black people, black people.